This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are in this great world. Uh, first of all, we've got to start off by saying, well, yesterday was the Marine Corps birthday, so happy birthday to all my brothers and sisters from the Marines, and of course the Navy Corpsman, and then today is Veterans Day, so uh, for all those that served, thank you for your service, and uh, it's uh, it's always a pleasure to uh, to be talking about that on, on such a day, so the 11th hour, the 11th day. Of the 11th month, we signed the armistice, and this has started Armistice Day, which we turned into Veterans Day. So, all the veterans out there, thanks for your service, brothers and sisters. All right, speaking of that, though, right, we have to get into some really cool stuff. We're going to talk about crowdsourcing and what it is to bring well, well what is crowdsourcing? How do we use it as emergency managers? It's interesting, but I, we actually found an expert in that field. Emily, welcome to EM Weekly. Hey, Todd, thanks for having me. Uh, that's, that's my pleasure, for sure. So, so it's afternoon for you, or I guess just noon, uh, out there in uh, New Hampshire. Um, and uh, so, I mean, you're out there in the middle of nowhere, kind of, right? I'm around some people, at least, so I can uh, I can find a crowd every once in a while. So let's talk about that, finding crowd, crowdsourcing. What's it mean? Yeah, so, um, you know, I have the pleasure of uh, supporting our crowdsourcing coordination unit here in FEMA, and I do work in uh, the New England office in Boston, um, but I was able to kind of form a crowdsourcing group down at our, our headquarters element in D.C., and, you know, one of the questions I get asked a lot is, you know, what is even crowdsourcing? And, um, you know, crowdsourcing really is a participatory approach to gathering like ideas, content, services, really whatever you can think of uh, from a large group of people. And typically we think of it through online or, you know, digital services. And I think we're, you know, if we had to make some guesses about, oh, what's crowdsourcing? There's lots of uh, businesses out there that use crowdsourcing as their business model. Think about ways, for instance, you know, if you want to know, if there's a traffic jam, you know, you go on ways and it's gathering content from the crowd, which is informing, you know, the traffic uh, patterns on their site. And there's lots of places that use that as their business model or their technique. And I really became interested in it during the 2017 hurricane seasons when we were trying to understand what was going on where and, you know, how do we tap into the crowd to get situational awareness as emergency managers? So. I remember looking at um, it's not quite well, maybe it's crowdsourcing. Um, back, I think it was like Moore, Oklahoma, um, or maybe Joplin, one of those two places. They always have hurricanes, hurts, hurricanes, tornadoes, and the it was sort of Facebook was sort of first kind of a thing, mm -hmm. and they were sharing information via Facebook. Now I know that a lot of the public safety people were upset with this because they wanted to make sure the information was vetted to them, and we we're we were really slow about picking up using Facebook or social media in general um, for sharing information. Uh, now it seems to be, if you don't have it, you're, you're, you're really, it's, it's kind of uh, 
behind the curve, I suppose. Um, is that really a good example of crowdsourcing or is that something different? No, no, I think it really is. So like two points you just made. I think when I talk to emergency managers about the crowdsourcing imperative is the whole community, our community expects that public safety has figured out how to use social media and open source. Okay, so whether or not we want to, it's an expectation on us as public servants that we've figured out social media, uh, open source platforms, sensors, all these things. And crowdsourcing, one element of it is social media. And there are other things like remote sensing, open source data, um, all different ways that we can collect crowdsource information. The example of Facebook community groups is uh, a great example. And, um, you know, one of my mentors told me the story of the snowstorm in Atlanta and how a Facebook group led by uh, a senior citizen quilter organized the delivery of thousands of blankets to people stranded on the side of the road, something that public safety was not able to do. And also they were busy doing public safety things, not delivering blankets. So there's lots of ways that the community can organize around a topic, an issue, gather the resources and, and distribute them as one example, but they can also gather information and share it. There is the issue of misinformation, but the crowd in general is very good at you know sourcing out this, this information, and especially if we as emergency managers partner with influencers and people with you know, uh, sway in the community that ha are trusted voices. That's one way that we can help, you know, raise the, the official information through these different dispersed networks. But I think that's a great example. And we see after every disaster, there's always a, com a Facebook community group that's organizing to connect, you know, needs with resources, which is a perfect example of crowdsourcing. So I know technology helps with organizing that, right? As far as Facebook or Twitter or whatnot. Um, but crowdsourcing really has been around for a long time in the sense of, I remember as a kid, we would get together um, and, and put care packages together to send out around Christmas time to the homeless or to the troops overseas that you see a lot of people that do that uh, all the time. Is that still, is that crowdsourcing at its core or is that different? No, absolutely. And, you know, thinking of like, uh, to me, one of the, the, you know, biggest players in the crowdsourcing game for a long time is the National Weather Service and their Skywarn spotters. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. So we have been emergency management, public safety has been doing crowdsourcing in different ways. Uh, and so I think of the Skywarn spotters as a great example. And in fact, we have partnered with a lot of spotter groups to help conduct different things like damage assessments, um uh gathering photos and geolocating them on maps so when some people are hesitant about oh can we trust the crowd well if you give the crowd uh, a little bit of information like maybe a skywarn training right. well we do trust them to report official numbers on rainfall snow amounts hail all these things those are become the official record uh usgs and their earthquake shake map uses twitter to help map an earthquake you know, faster than our right. seismological detectors give us. So there's lots of, you know, uh, groups out there that are already using crowdsourcing. And one of the things I want to say is that, you know, there's, there's passive crowdsourcing and there's active crowdsourcing. We can go out and engage the crowd in a two-way conversation and ask them for something, or we can use, uh, you know, data that's being collected passively and incorporate that into our situational awareness or, or whatever we're trying to do as emergency managers, like 
partnering with Waze, who has a, a Waze for Government program that will share traffic data with your jurisdiction. Uh, so, you know, there's different ways to do it depending on what resources you have in your community or in your emergency management program to integrate these different types of crowdsourcing methods, you know, to support your programs, whether it's, I'm talking a lot about response, but you can use it for preparedness as well as you're describing, but also in recovery efforts. What are the unmet needs? Right. Uh, and how do we match a resource with a need? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I, I want to kind of like talk about that for a second on the idea of, of recovery. I I was looking, I, was, I forget what it's called. There was a guy who I actually interviewed. No, I'm, I'm terrible. But his idea was creating an app that you could say, hey, I'm, um, I need a generator, for instance, right? And then somebody goes, oh, I have a generator and I can bring it to you. Or, um, you know, I, you know, people like that are unaffected could actually pre-purchase stuff through either Amazon or, or, um, you know, Home Depot or whatever. And people could actually go and say, oh, I'm Emily. Todd bought a generator for me and here's my receipt. And then it, it could do stuff like that. I think that's really kind of a, a neat way uh, of, of doing things as well. And that's, that seems to be ground. I mean, it's, you know, it's individuals doing this, right? It's not, it's not anything that we're doing. Well, absolutely. And, but I think that emergency management has a, a place to play. When we talk about, uh, for example, voluntary organizations active in disaster, one of the partners we have at FEMA is called Crisis Cleanup. And they use uh, basically a crowdsource tool where people can submit tickets uh, and then they can be matched with a verified group that can come in and help them maybe muck out or their service, their platform is amazing. It can be used for a lot of different things, matching a resource with a need. Um, but as emergency managers, we need to tap into these different tools and platforms. During COVID, we went into this very, you know, time where we had scarcity like we've never seen before. All right. So we had a scarcity mindset. We were short on lots of things. And the power of the crowd is abundant. You have everything you need if you can tap into the crowd because we can just basically work as a community to match people up with the, the whatever they need. And it might just be information. A lot of times people just are looking for information. But like you're talking about, how do we use a technology to match people with maybe services or goods? Airbnb, for example, you can work with them to activate their emergency sheltering program and it, it really helps because it's a it's a verified way of doing something where people are protected and they're matched up, you know, you know, appropriately with the resources they need. But then as emergency managers, when we do this, when we are leveraging this technology, we can also get that information, which we can use to inform recovery efforts. Where do we need housing? Uh, where was there a lot of muck outs being done that we should include that in our request for FEMA declarations? You know, the, so there's all that data is being collected. How do we then re, how do we use that to inform our recovery efforts as well? So I think it's a, it's a wide spectrum of what is crowdsourcing. So, you know, I, what I'm, my suggestion is to all the listeners is think about a project you're working on and how do you incorporate crowdsourcing into that to kind of dip your toes into this. So Dan, Dan Scott, um, who can't be, who couldn't be with us today live, uh, but he's, he's with us in spirit. <laughs> he asked, uh, what is the crowdsourcing tips? Uh, for emergency management. And then he goes in second on that one is what type of training is available uh, to learn, teach, and sustain crowdsourcing? Those are good questions, Dan. 
Those are great questions. Like, how do we get started? So a couple things. So um, when I was learning about this, I partnered with uh, IAEM Region 1, and we decided to collate all the resources we could find on a Google site we made called crowdsourceem.org, which links to a lot of uh, official resources that came out from DHS Science and Technology. So DHS Science and Technology put out a playbook for engaging digital volunteers. Um, and then there's also, through uh, the federal government, uh, citizenscience.gov, which has another playbook for crowdsourcing. And we actually, you know, part of the reason that I got involved in this is there is the act for crowdsourcing and citizen science. So the government said, hey, we need to do this. There's a mandate for federal agencies to leverage crowdsourcing and citizen science the best they can. So that's a great place to get started. But the DHS Science and Technology um, publications lay out a great, what I call the crawl, walk, run model, right? So we're not all starting off uh, hiring, you know, trying to tap into an army of crowdsourcing volunteers. We might be looking at just partnering with an existing technology or platform to leverage some of the information they can. Maybe we're going to incorporate it into a resiliency campaign. Uh, one of the examples on the toolkit is a resiliency campaign done in the city of Nashua, New Hampshire, where uh, residents were asked to contribute to a map where they highlighted places maybe where there's repetitive loss or flooding, where there's you know real value to the community that we really need to protect. And we were able to kind of engage the whole community in an online way, kind of actually build up a lot of enthusiasm for a resiliency plan, um, but really lighten the load of having you know one staff member have to go around and look at all these places. Uh, and so there's a wide range of uh, different tools that have been put out, and we just try to kind of collate them all on that site, crowdsourceem.org. We're always looking for other examples to add, uh, you know, and it, it just is a place for other emergency managers to go and, and also contribute to the body of knowledge of crowdsourcing and emergency management. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Oh, um, so as we get into this, the idea of, of crowdsourcing as well, and kind of going back to analog, I suppose, for lack of a better term, maybe not analog, is uh, the idea, David Goldberg, or Goldberg brings up the idea of uh, amateur radio uh, for community supporting no and Skywarn. And also here in, in California, um, we have a very active uh, amateur radio group that goes out and looks uh, for fires. Or, or, you know, so it's through... Um, the fire core, I believe, is who who uses them. Um, so those are those are really great examples of using other types of, of stuff that's not not digital. Um, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, I want to get into a little bit about your background and, and how you got into crowdsourcing. Awesome. Hey everybody, next week I'm going to be in New York City at the NDEM uh, conference, and we'll be streaming uh, the show live from there. And I'm pretty excited about that. Dan's going to be joining me um, as well. And we are going to be speaking to Craig Fugate and Pete Gaynor um, on the what it is to be the top guy, the emergency manager at the top, uh, leadership and, and the direction of emergency management more. So hopefully you can join us for that special uh, live streaming event that we're going to be doing um, live from New York City. Or if you're in the area, if you're in New York or if you want to fly out there with me, <laughs> you're more than welcome to come and uh, it's end them and uh, please uh, follow us there and uh, like to see you guys and, and looking forward more towards that as well. And also, I also want to talk a little bit about, since we're talking about technology and crowdsourcing and some of the cursed stuff that's out there, 
uh, Disaster Tech, Sean Griffin and his team over there. Uh, matter of fact, they're hiring if you guys are looking for a job. Uh, go to DisasterTech.com and uh, you can go over there and see if it's a fit for you. But they are also doing some really great work uh, when it comes to technology. And they have a couple different programs over there, the DICE program. And they also have the Voltron program, which is really exciting as far as training and how to really get people up and running. And, and uh, it's 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 great. So I think you should really check it out. So don't forget to go to Disaster Tech and also follow them on Twitter. That's DisasterTech.net, I think. Anyway, all right, guys, Emily, come back in. All right, I'm back. <laughs> so uh, you you started uh, local EM, uh, right? And then um, kind of moved over from there. How did you get into crowdsourcing? How did that become like your thing? Well, that, that it's a really great question. And how I originally got started was actually at the city of Nashville where I gave that example. We were able to participate in a uh, cross-border exercise, the CAUSE exercise series with Canada. And uh, as part of that, we were exercising our CERT team, which had a dual purpose as being a VOST, a virtual operations support team, which is basically the most active form of crowdsourcing you can have is a team of uh, digital volunteers, as I call them, that are scouring open source information to create situational awareness products. And so we partnered with New Brun Brunswick, Canada, and we simulated a hurricane coming up the coast. While the hurricane was hitting us in very far inland uh, New Hampshire, uh, as realistic as it could be, uh, the team in Canada was collecting, uh, you know, open source information and providing us with situational awareness. As the hurricane passed, we provided them with situational awareness. And that's when I really got into it, like, wow, you know, there's all this open source information. How are we tapping into that, but moving it from just information to intelligence? And it was a great way at the time as the uh, team manager for the CERT team to have something for them to do. And I think that's something that every CERT manager can uh, attest to is having uh, non-disaster work for CERT teams to do as a, a way to dual train them. Um, and then fast forward, I was working at the state of New Hampshire, Homeland Security and Emergency Management. Then I came to FEMA. And in 2017, I deployed down to our headquarters element uh, right as Hurricane Harvey hit. And... Uh, Hurricane Maria made landfall, and at the time, our administrator, Brock Long, got on the floor of the NRCC, our response center, and said, I need to know the status of all the hospitals this time tomorrow. And it wasn't really going to be possible. Our on-the-ground team said it was going to take two weeks. So I had this idea, well, I'll just try to use crowdsourcing to figure it out. And we worked with an international team called the Standby Task Force. And in 48 hours, they had mapped the status of all the hospitals in Puerto Rico. And uh, two weeks later, the on-the-ground teams confirmed that information was correct. And that's when I really got hooked on it. You know, the power of the crowd when you're in a complete information blackout, uh, how do you use what you have, piece it together, leverage people in non-affected areas, and, uh, and build these situational awareness products that ultimately became the basis for our hub and spoke model to rebuild the uh, healthcare system in Puerto Rico. So that's how we really got started. Um, and it's grown from there. And every hurricane season, we have crowdsourcing groups that help with situational awareness to our national response coordination center in DC. Why do you think some emergency managers are resistant to crowdsourcing? Um, well, what I've mostly encountered is uh, just, you know, um, a bad experience with a, a tweet from social media. Usually, you know, you 
you, I, I like to think about it is uh, what I say to everyone is, you know, when a call comes in, a 911 call, call comes in and it's not quite accurate. How many times has that happened to all of us? It's the same thing. So if you take one piece of information and go on that, that's not crowdsourcing. That's taking one account. And crowdsourcing is, you know, gathering a large amount of information and using it. So statistically, you're going to be getting the information you need. So typically, I haven't met anyone who is against it once they're able to see, you know, how to put together a program that's going to get them accurate, timely information. That's what everybody wants. We want accurate, timely information. We don't want to be chasing around uh, bad information. And I think that if you are engaging the crowd properly, you can work right through that kind of stuff. But I do agree, you know, there's a lot of misinformation and rumors. And actually, one of the powerful things about the crowd is dispelling those rumors, is calling them out. And, you know, some of the groups we work with use open source tools like Google Photo. You can drop a photo into Google and it'll show you that photo's from 11 years ago. That's right. not a photo of this disaster. And they'll comment on that tweet and go, this is not a photo of this disaster. So they're helping you cut out those rumors. But honestly, you know, usually when I talk to people, I go to different conferences, talk about crowdsourcing, you know, everyone's like, wow, I, you know, I just didn't understand how to use it in a way that I wasn't ending up chasing my tail. And I totally get that. It's funny. I, I, I live in Brea and California and, um, we have this thing on Facebook called the Brea buzz. It's a group that just join, right? It's a group. And, and I get more information from, from that Brea buzz than I do. My wife makes fun of me. Uh, Cause I'm like, Oh, I heard about this going on. She's like, where'd you hear it? The Brea buzz. I'm like, yeah, that's where I heard it, you know? And, um, uh, but it is the same thing. It's, you know, it's definitely crowdsourcing information that's out there, not just on the political stuff or anything like that, but also things like, Hey, this road is closed. Don't go, you know, there's whatever is going on. So um, I, I do, I, I appreciate it. But how do we get citizens residents to really help out with that? Like to join a group like the Brea buzz or that they are not, that they're not afraid. They're, they're not fearful of getting bad information. Yeah, no, I think what I've learned and I've been learning through this process as well is the importance of, um, you know, finding the influencers in a community because it's not necessarily like they're going to trust me. Like, oh, yeah, I'm from whatever government agency. Right. Follow me. N not really. But if you're able to find influencers within your community, maybe it's a religious leader, maybe it's somebody who's active on the school board organization. And those are the people that you want to connect with and form a partnership with and say, hey, you know, we're this is if you follow our social media account, this is where we're going to put out official information about the storm or a shelter or, or reporting damages. Can you help us by amplifying those messages or can you help us by collecting this information or asking your followers to collect this information? That is kind of the dispersing of the crowd there because the point of the crowd is not to connect with every single person it's to put something out there and then the crowd runs with it and they use their networks their partnerships their relationships to gather that information or that resource you know however works for their community group which is i think the other part is you know the world is so interconnected if there is a disruption in one place you know it has a domino effect right. but we can use that to our advantage because we're so connected others in different corners of the country can contribute to whatever we're trying to do. So Melissa says the issue with the small community groups is that there's a lot of them <laughs> and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of true. Uh, I mean, like how, how, how do we manage 
or you know as far as getting information um uh, from all those groups that are out there to kind of put information out like how do you dispel rumor from truth yeah no so that is a really good point because i feel like uh community groups multiply especially when there is a disaster or something is happening uh and then you might have multiple places where information is and i think again that is when you might want to look at some more active crowdsourcing techniques where you might have a group of people whose job it is to monitor those pages maybe contribute become trusted members the thing with Facebook groups is a lot of them are private and you have to be allowed to join. So they're not exactly open, open groups, open source. And that's when sometimes, you know, it can be kind of a little bit of a circle of misinformation. So right. that's why it is important to try to engage those groups. But, you know, it's also you can't be everywhere at all times. So you have to prioritize what is your goal? Is your goal to promote official information? is your goal to gather information or resources um, and then kind of figure out, okay, where is the most bang for our buck? Because there is a lot to do with crowdsourcing and the active route, you know, isn't probably as realistic for smaller organizations who maybe are an emergency manager office of one. Mm -hmm. And, and you might need to think about how do you partner with other emergency managers and the last place I was at was at a conference in Wisconsin um, in the beginning of 2020. And that's exactly what was happening. I was there speaking with a group of county emergency managers who wanted to work together to leverage crowdsourcing, knowing that when one of them was impacted, the others could implement some crowdsourcing techniques to support them. Uh, so kind of their own internal crowdsourcing group uh, to then be able to tap into, they're specifically looking at the spotter group as one of those trusted resources to get that kind of information out. But there are a lot of challenges to overcome. I don't have all the answers. Um, and I think that it's part of, you know, organizing, you know, what is our strategy for crowdsourcing and emergency management? How do we build these tools and techniques? But ultimately, it goes back to that imperative that I say, you know, the whole community, the community expects us to figure out how to get this information. If they're putting it in an open source place, they think we can see it and we've organized and acted around it. So how do we head in that direction? So Dan asked again, he goes, uh, where do you recommend someone who knows nothing about crowdsourcing to begin their journey? Oh, I think where I would begin is the DHS Science and Technology Playbook for Digital Volunteers. Um, it gives a great overview of the kind of spectrum of crowdsourcing from that passive uh, to just tapping into open data sources that you can collect to that more active role of maybe even forming a digital volunteer group or partnering with one. I would really start with those documents. Um, it was put together by the DHS social media working group. So it was made up of first responders and emergency managers who were, you know, in the early days trying to figure out how does public safety use social media, but they really expanded uh, to, okay, how do we use crowdsourcing and open source information to inform, you know, response and recovery efforts as public safety. Uh, so that would be, I think, the starting place for anybody looking to kind of dip their toes into how do we use crowdsourcing as emergency managers. Do you see um, some of these crowdsourcing, um, Melissa brings up the idea, the, the concept here that uh, a lot of people are, are turning political uh, on these crowdsource, on these, on these platforms. Um, have you seen that be a problem during disaster or like a, an active disaster, not necessarily COVID? Um, 
You know, I don't think I have personally experienced that or seen that, but I, you know, I think that's always a risk, but I do, I have seen during, you know, uh, big large scale disasters, you know, groups really come together rallying around that issue or topic of, of humanitarian relief. We're trying neighbors helping neighbors, right? right. Think of the Cajun Navy. Uh, there's another group, Crowdsource Rescue HQ out of Texas. And, you know, they organize people who want to go help other people when just response is overwhelmed. Um, so I think there's always that risk. But I think, you know, disaster relief, you know, politics always has something to play in it, right? But that's not our that's not our game right as emergency managers we're trying to uh coordinate the relief of our community trying to get you know back to where we were if not better build back better and i know you talk about kind of resilience or anti-fragile um and i think you know when i was thinking of that concept of the anti-fragile concept how it has to do with you know scarcity or abundance and when you have the crowd you have what you need and it's just a matter of connecting those pieces and that's really what it's about um i think it has a a powerful place to play in our discourse of being able to get people to you know relate to each other and see hey neighbors helping neighbors uh that's really what it's about and maybe that will kind of bring us back to the place of realizing you know we're all impacted by disasters and uh we all can come together and you know when we're facing the same challenges, we can all come together and help provide that relief to the community. Yeah. You know, it's kind of cool. And the tools that are out there today um, make it easy for the community to do this. Right. I mean, <laughs> outside of the Facebook and the social media type stuff, I mean like uh, the Zello app, which is like a, at Zillow where you buy a house, Zello, it's like hello with a Z um, was used extensively during, uh, during disasters uh, because it turned the phone into a walkie talkie type thing. Um, but the cool part about that was the the Cajun Navy, for instance, uh, utilized it to dispatch themselves uh, around to help people out. So there's a there's a lot of neat stuff out there that that you can use and really work with with the community groups. And and, and Melissa, to your point regarding the politics stuff, and sometimes you just can't avoid it. But at the other end of it, I think that if you're helping manage the now I say manage, like really putting good information out there and having your crowds share that information. Um, I, I think then they're they're going to trust uh, that information more than uh, than than not. So, but I think it's a two way street, right? Or uh, am I? Yeah, no, and that's the whole thing about crowdsourcing is it's supposed to be a two way street. It's not just you put something out there. It's it's a conversation. You're going back and forth. And um, and uh, General McChrystal has a great book called A Team of Teams. And I, I really prescribe to that model that you know. Uh, the interconnectedness of our communities, if we can give uh, some direction as emergency managers of, you know, where are we having gaps? Where where are we missing information? What would we like to know or have? Those things will come to us if we engage the crowd. I'm thinking about, you know, COVID, for example, all of the donation, you know, I'm not for donation drives usually because I, I don't like the mess of donations, but uh, when we talked about needing to donate masks to public safety organizations at the beginning of the disaster, what was a shortage we were able to find when we engaged the crowd correctly. Same thing can happen with information. A lot of uh, groups now are tapping, especially emergency managers are tapping into their GIS teams and they're leveraging the crowdsourcing reporting apps on the different GIS tools to collect damage assessments 
in near real time. These can inform your response efforts, right? You know, where do we need to go? Where is there an urgent need? But they're critical when you're doing your post damage assessment and you're trying to say, what, how much damage did we have and, and what is this going to cost? You know, we used to send out teams door to door to do that kind of stuff. Now we're using remote sensing, which is another crowdsourcing technique. How can you use drones, aerial imagery, satellite imagery to do remote sensing to collect information? Again, not just for for response, but also maybe mitigation projects or different preparedness projects that you're doing. Those are all on the spectrum of crowdsourcing, just basically using you know a large amount of data and from an open source that you're able to you know create into whatever product you're trying to do to inform your program. Right. I mean, yeah, think about this too. I mean, I know that um, the Ring doorbell, for instance, is one of those things that uh, um, people have willingly giving their their ring doorbell information to law enforcement to help uh, solve crimes in the community and uh just as an example uh is something like that that like the adopt a fire hydrant i mean right. you know i'm always like can somebody you know ab- adopt a culvert but no yeah adopt a fire hydrant you know clear it out you know making it into again, a, a whole community effort. We Could we go out as the fire department and pay them and they could shovel every fire hydrant? Is that a good use of their time? Or is it more of a community uh, thing where everybody adopts a higher fire hydrant, keeps it clear, maybe posts a picture of it, you know, kind of, again, raising awareness in the community, getting people engaged in being part of a culture of preparedness that we're trying to promote. So all these things, you know, I think if we look around, we can point to, different crowdsourcing um, elements that have been in public safety for a long time, you know, crime stoppers, all these different things. Right. We've been using crowdsourcing for a long time in public safety, but how do we want to formalize the use of it in emergency management? And different um, platforms out there that we might use as emergency managers, technology platforms are increasingly including open source technology, crowdsourcing, into their tools so that we can tap into them as emergency managers. And I think we'll head into that direction where it's more of an automated or passive crowdsourcing uh, where we can tap into other technologies. But there's always the place to engage, you know, people in crowdsourcing. This is fantastic stuff, Emily. We're coming to the end here. Um, If anybody would like to get in touch with you to learn more about what you're doing, how can they find you? Um, you can email me and maybe uh, my spelling my name is always fun. So it's just emily.marticello at fema.dhs.gov. Uh, but maybe we can uh, put that somewhere, Todd, that so yeah. people can spell it correctly. <laughs> for sure. We'll put that in the, in the in the show notes below as well. And if you're, so if you're driving down the road and your pencil's not sharp, yeah. don't worry about it. You can, you can find it. <laughs> um, hey, one last question. This is, we're in November. And a matter of fact, um, the we're doing the special on the twenty. 20- Fourth, right? The third, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving is what books belong on an emergency manager's bookshelf. I know you mentioned one right now, Team of Teams. What book do you think should belong on an emergency manager's bookshelf? Um, so I'll go with oh, so my my day job at FEMA is continuous improvement. Um, so I'm gonna go with John Cotter's Our Iceberg is Melting. And I think organizational change at a large scale is an imperative for emergency management in as a, a community um and it's kind of one of the frameworks i also use for crowdsourcing so uh, embrace change and uh, john cotter's book the our iceberg is melting 
is a nice fable for all of us to read. And Dan says, Dan Scott says, great book with a big exclamation mark on that. So, all right. Thank you so much for your time today. And uh, it's a pleasure talking to you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for spending time with us this morning and and learning more about crowdsourcing and what it really means. I think it's something that we should really embrace uh, if you are in the field of emergency management um, or any kind of uh, uh, crisis management for that matter. So we'll visit. wait till uh, next week when we're uh, going to be in New York City. I can't wait to, for that event and I can't wait to see you again. And follow us on, on, on Facebook. We have a Facebook group that if you guys want to join, uh, you can really get active in there. We do a lot of fun stuff over there. And of course, we have the Facebook page. So follow us on Facebook. Love to have you there. Join us in what we're talking about and talk about crowdsourcing. Um, we're also taking questions. If you want to ask Pete Gaynor or Craig Fugate, you can put it up there on, on Facebook. Until next week, stay safe and stay hydrated.